Lord, the world we live in today is so conditioned us to not wait one message for anything. One message under God. And it is the we can food ready in five minutes. Your Amazon delivery's there in two days. Just we don't wait for many things. And all throughout the pages of Scripture, that's what you see happen. Reading something the other day, it just kind of stuck in my mind. So that a lot of times when you read the Old Testament, Genesis and Exodus, and those earlier books, because you're going from story to story and chapter to chapter, you don't really realize how much time is passing. So you might read about Abraham having an encounter with God in chapter so and so, and from that one to the next chapter, the next time he hears from God. It wasn't yesterday. I've been here in 20 years. Can you imagine? When we live in the day of being filled with the Holy Ghost, I mean, we're disappointed we don't have a little God every Sunday. There are times that we might go a decade and never hear the voice of God. Yet they were still faithful. Dum Life very rarely makes sense in the short term. But through it all, it all works together for good. For them that love God will call according to his Jesus shirt. And so, no matter how unpleasant it is, Lord, teach us to wait. Be patient and faithful to the if you have your Bibles today, you'd like to go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. If you don't want to go with me in your Bibles, it'll be on the screen behind us. Never fear. <laughs> Ephesians, chapter 4. Really not going to preach so much from this passage as much as it just really drives home the purpose of the title of the message. Ephesians, chapter 4, and verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes and says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, that you do your job. With all loneliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. And ye, as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us, every one of us, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. If there is anything you want to remember from that scripture, I know we know a lot about God. Maybe you know a little, but knowing a little is better than knowing none. But if there is anything that is really, truly obvious, is a singular okay. word that gets said about every three or four. That's what I want to preach to you for a little while today. I want to preach to you about one best. One message. Would you lift up your hands and your voice? Give the Lord praise again. He let me oh, God, there are not enough hours, not enough days. There's not enough time in eternity to give the praise of 
And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, so there, there was a whole list of men, there were seven of them, but Scripture particularly pays attention to Stephen. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So this is where his story starts. I mean, he's, he's doing what any saint of God would do. He's, he's living his life. He's being a witness to the Lord. And, and he's probably, I would assume, kind of minding his own business. Maybe he's, maybe he's sleeping up behind the Bible study. Maybe he brought the cookies and the Kool-Aid. I don't know what all he was doing. But we know on Scripture that he shows up when there's a church problem that needs to be solved by having some people get in there and oversee it. And, and he gets selected along with these other seven men. But then good things just seem to start to happen in the life of Stephen. It would seem like he was doing all the right things. He was laying a good foundation for ministry in the church. He was full of the Holy Ghost. I mean, you've got, you need the Holy Ghost to do a spiritual work. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. So he was full of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says he was of an honest report. So he had a good reputation. He was trustworthy. And that's important, too. You've got to have that to be able to do a work for God. People need to be able to have confidence in you and be able to trust you. Then we see also that he was submissive and he was obedient. And that's important, too. God, he submitted to the godly authority that he puts in your life. And, and I, maybe, maybe he, he wanted this job. I have no idea, but maybe he just got volatile. Never happened to anybody in the church, has it? I just feel like the Lord needs to bless you with this work, which means you're the one that needs to do this work. And so I don't know what well, the background might be and exactly how this came about, but he was a godly man. He was he was a man that was of honest report. He was he was somebody that had prayed through to the Holy Ghost, and, and he was submissive and obedient to do the work of God. Now, now I don't know how this all went down, but it really doesn't seem like it was all that glamorous of a job. It's just really kind of referee between some people that are mad at each other and make sure that the money and, and the food gets distributed in the right in the most equitable way. So it doesn't really seem like it's the thing that you really signed up for, but nonetheless, he took it anyway because he was there to be a servant. He was there to do the work of God, whatever it might be. But then we see in Scripture that he, he wasn't just full of the Holy Ghost, and he wasn't just submissive, and he just wasn't just a man of, that they had faith in God, but the Bible tells us that he was full of faith and of power. And that God did wonders and miracles through him. Now, I want to be one of those people. Come on, folks. I mean, I want to be the people that when they pray and lay hands on the sick, they get up and walk. I mean, that doesn't mean that we don't do it when, when God doesn't do the work, but it sure is a whole lot more encouraging when they get healed when they don't. It sure is a whole lot easier to preach miracles when you're seeing them than when you haven't seen one of them all the time. That's where Stephen's at. I mean, God starts performing miracles through Stephen. Now we're talking. I mean, pack up the tent, sell the house, buy the truck and the fifth wheel trailer. It's time to hit the road. I mean, Brother Stephen Evangelistic Ministries International. That's what he's doing, right? I don't know what that acronym is, but you know, it's a 
It sounds pretty fancy, but put the sticker on the side of the truck. I mean, and healing crusades and miracle crusades and powerful moves of God. Let's go out on the road and make our mark on eternity. Let's go out and do something great for the kingdom of God. So what happened? Verse 9, this is in the midst of Stephen doing what the scripture said. He's, he's teaching Bible studies. Maybe he's preaching sermons. I don't know, but God's working miracles through it. He's a great blessing to the church. Obviously, he, he must be rising to some level of significance a little more than the other six guys. We don't hear about them anymore. Here's Stephen, man on the scene. Verse 9 says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the Synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to Angel resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Miracles and signs and wonders. And now he can preach too. I mean, he can preach. Not only can he preach, but, but he can argue back and they get in the middle of his preaching and they're arguing. And, and by the time he says the profound wisdom that comes out of his mouth, they just clam up and go home. They don't even know what to say. No matter what they did, no matter what, they, they rose up against him. Stephen was able to put it down under the power of God. I mean, folks, it's, it's time to, to print my picture in, in, in the Apostolic Witness. It's time to headline in GMC this year is Brother Stephen. I mean, now he's an evangelist. He's a miracle worker. He's a fire preacher. And I, let's throw some other titles in there. Stephen is the man of the hour. Course produces the response from hell that the man of the hour always produces, which is we got to stop this man. So we see in scripture, verse 11, then they suborn men which said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes, and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard it say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Here we are, this crucial moment in Stephen's life. This crucial moment in his ministry. Here's the kind of the, the tantamount test of whether he's really ready for ministry or not. I mean, God does this all the time. God tests us all the time. You, you shouldn't think it's strange when, when fiery trials come upon you. You should not think it's strange when you decide to do something for God that all the world doesn't turn aside and roll out the red carpet. There's times that God wants to know, are you in this thing or not? Are you going to stay through this to the end or not? Are you going to trust me when things aren't going your way or not? That's what it all looks like here. Stephen is having to face the, the, the reality of, of what life is going to be like for him as an evangelist or a miracle worker or whatever it may be. Is he ready to start blazing his path around the world? Do a word for God. Is he going to pass the test? So in chapter 7, we find what Stephen does. It's going to happen with this guy. This now got the power of God flowing through his life like a mighty river. I mean, 
What is he going to do? How is he going to respond? Acts chapter 7, verse 1 says, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. If I get up to preach, I will start saying hearken. Even though that means how many go. Hearken. The glory of God appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of that country and from that kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Now, not surprisingly, because he is an apostolic preacher, this is rather a long message. So I'm going to spare you all the verses. I'd encourage you to read them on your own. And I'm going to read some more to you, but I'm not going to make you go through all of them. But I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. He starts to talk about Abraham. He starts to talk about Abraham and, and where he went, what he did, and how God made a covenant with him, and how God blessed him, and then how eventually, a couple generations later, Abraham's family would end up in Egypt. We, we, maybe you know at least part of those stories, or you've at least seen the movie. Eventually his family would end up in Egypt and, and they'd be oppressed and they'd be abused and they'd be taken advantage of for a few hundred years. But then the day would come when a man named Moses would come on the scene and Moses would lead them out. That gets us down to verse 37 that says, This is that Moses which said to the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel, which spake to him in the Mount Sinai with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. Now this sounds like a little different turn in this message. I don't know. I mean, up until this point, it's just a recounting of the narrative of the history of Israel. But remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the council. He's talking to the Sanhedrin, to guys like Paul. That know all this stuff. It's like you tell me to come to church on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning. You're here. Look at who he's talking to. He's talking to the elders. He's talking to the council. And for a little while, they're probably sitting there going, I like we don't know this, Stephen. How does what does this have to do with the charge that's laid against you? And then all of a sudden, instead of all of the glories and the wonders that God performed in the wilderness and, and, and the deliverance from all the things that, that God did to get them out of Egypt and all the conquering of Canaan that God did through Joshua, he decides to point out, remember, that our fathers rejected Moses turned their backs on him. Where is he going he starts to talk a little bit about Israel's idolatry and the fact that they turned their back on God. And we pick up in verse 44, it says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. And 
And that Jesus is referring to Joshua. That's the Greek translation of Joshua in the Old Testament. Whom God drave out before the face of our fathers into the days of David. Who found favor before God and desired to find the tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all of these things? Why is he talking about Why is he saying it in this way? Remember what they accused him of? What the accusation was? They said he has spoken evil words about Moses. He has spoken evil words about the law, and he has spoken evil words about the temple. So then Stephen begins to point out that the children of Israel themselves turned their backs on Moses, and that the children of Israel themselves disobeyed God's laws. And that the children of Israel, even King David and Solomon, built him a house instead of a tabernacle when God never said he wanted a house. Then in verse 51, he's stiff-necked. He's stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ear. Do ye always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did? Oh, you talk about backing somebody into the corner. He's drudging up every foolish and ungodly thing that Israel did and then looked eyeball to eyeball back to that council and said, Do you always resist God like your fathers did? Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. This is where it is. This is the punchline. Cue the music. The altars are open. Make your way to come down and offer your repentance unto God. I sound an awful lot like Peter's message on Pentecost to me. Oh, by the way, do you realize you murdered the Messiah? Do you realize that you have truly inherited from your fathers your willingness to kill the prophets and to reject the law and to tear down the house of God? That's what he preached. You talk about somebody that's going to stir up and fire up the revival. Stephen has come, and he ain't holding anything back. Right in the midst of all the leaders, right in the midst of all the authorities. I mean, the Bible says they've already been with us, some of the priests. Now we're really about to make some headway. We're going to get the council. We're going to get the Sanhedrin. They're all going to fall on their faces and repent before God. We're going to turn this city upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, verse 
Verse 54 says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Praise God, they were cut to the heart. But they didn't respond in repentance. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Wait a minute. This ain't the way it's supposed to work. They're supposed to be teary-eyed. They're supposed to be broken-hearted. They're supposed to look back just like they did on the day of Pentecost and say, men and brethren, Stephen, what shall we do? Stephen's preaching it the same way Peter preached it. <coughs> preached conviction. Wanting the finger at the offender. And yet the altar was not filled. Verse 55 says, that he being full of the Holy Ghost, it wasn't because he missed God. It wasn't because he didn't pray, he didn't study, he didn't seek the mind of the Lord, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes, and the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's it? He's cornered now. That was cornered. That's it. That's the ministry of Stephen. The Holy Ghost filled man of good character and good report, submissive to his elders and the authority of God, mightily used to perform miracles, to confound the wise. This is the ministry of Stephen. That's it. He's done. It's over. Book of Acts just moves on to somebody else. That's my Well, I know. Maybe, maybe he preached other messages. Maybe the scripture doesn't give us an account of, 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 of three months of, of seven-day-a-week revivals. I have no idea. But only one of them made it onto the pages of scripture. One chapter is a one-shot wonder. He hits the charts for a week, and he's never... Heard from again. What is God doing? We know that God we serve. We know that, that God can deliver somebody from anything. We know that Jesus could not be killed until the time came for him to be killed. He said, It's my life and I lay it down. Even the devil himself spoke to Jesus and said, We, we all know the word tells us that, that you have that, that you have charge of all the angels. You can just bump your tongue with your rock, and legions of angels can come and minister to you. What is God doing? God, are you really going to let me just preach one message? The book of Ephesians says there is one body. One spirit, even as you are called 
in one hope of your call. We gotta wake up and realize sometimes. We may not understand exactly what God is up to. We may not understand why God is doing what he's doing. We may not understand why things have turned out the way they've turned out. But he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what lies ahead of you. Because he has just given you one hope of your call. Jude wrote, chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. There was no backup plan. God looked at him before he ascended into the heavens and said, go into the rest of the world, preach the gospel, preach repentance and baptism, because if you don't, they're going to die lost. Who penned those words? Jude. Brother James. And I said Jude chapter 1, but guess what? There's only one. How many letters in the New Testament does Paul write? How much do we pour over the theology that he wrote for you and I? And Jude writes what? Just one letter? A couple paragraphs? Just 25 short verses? And that's your part on the church? And he opened up that letter and said, I have your life to you. Really? And that's it? The only mark you're going to leave on the rest of the church's posterity is one little letter. We spent a lot of time in life trying to figure ourselves out. And we worry and we stress. Maybe you don't do it as much as somebody else does, but there's times we get consumed about what we think we are or what we think we are not. When the truth is far much simpler than that. Because the truth is, is that God has put us all in the church. He has put you in the church, and He has put me in the church. And He has given you a purpose, and He has given me a purpose. And the thing, the singular thing that He is asking out of you and me, regardless of where we're sitting, regardless of what we're doing, regardless of whether we do it for 30 minutes or for 30 years, God has called us to be thankful. He has called us to give ourselves to whatever it is that He puts into our life. He wants us to be faithful to that purpose. If I sat, I'm just going to be honest with you, if I sat down and write a book and I began to write things and all I could fill up is a page, I'm pretty sure I'm not sitting there that Amazon. I'm pretty sure I'm not contacting the, the publishers to say, you need to publish my book. Because to me, I ain't got a book. <laughs> I got a couple thoughts I put together on paper that maybe I should just email out to everybody and be done with it. And then Jude says, I had to write this to you. 
I had to send this to you. Why? Because the only thing that God required out of you was to write that letter, to be faithful day in and day out. Whatever it was that you did in the church, God required him to do it faithfully every year, every month, every day, whether his name was in lights or not. John chapter 9 and verse 25. Jesus is walking around. Man, into a blind man. Opened his eyes, stirred up a whole bunch of trouble. The authorities interrogated him. Wanted to know, wanted to get him to confess that the man that healed him was a sinner and a wicked man. This is what he said. Verse 25. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I know, that where I was, whereas I was blind, now I see. You see, we ain't got no business sitting back saying, I got to wait to be a witness for the Lord until I've been in this thing 15 years. I gotta wait to give a Bible study until I until I've read the Bible through 15 times and I know how all the stories that are in there. You need to read the Bible through as many times as you can until Jesus comes. You, you need to know everything about Scripture and about the ways of God that you can until Jesus comes. But I've come to tell you, if the only thing you've got today, and the only testimony you've got today is I was once blind and now I see, go find somebody and tell them. If the only the thing you've got today is I was once a drug addict, but now I've been set free, go find somebody and tell them. Because God is only expecting you to be faithful. I read something recently. And I won't quote it right, but it just, just grabbed me off the page. It was talking about some of the characters in the Old Testament. Boaz, Ruth, Abraham, and Moses, and so forth. And about the fact that they were recorded in the Word of God, that it was written down, the things that they said, the things that they did. And the writer said, if they had known that it would have been recorded in Scripture, they'd have done more. It talked about Boaz. If he had known that it was going to be written down how he said that his servants could leave handfuls on purpose for Ruth to pick up. If he had known that it would have been recorded in the eternal word of God, oh, he'd have given her everything from the wagon. He'd have prepared a splendorous meal. He'd have put everything out that he could if he'd have known that it would have been written down in Scripture. There are times that you see very ordinary things recorded in Scripture that if that man or that woman would have known that people like us are going to read about 6,000 years later, they'd have made their praise greater. They'd have made their offering larger. They'd have made their sacrifice cleaner. They'd have made, they'd have made different choices because they didn't realize that they were standing on the pages of history. I've come to tell you today, I might not ever be written about in the annals of the apostolic church. I might go to my grave one day and nobody ever know who I was except you find folks here in Versailles. But I've come to tell you, whether that ever happens to me or not, i got to be faithful. You may never go to a foreign land and preach the gospel to hundreds of thousands, but if you can be faithful, really that money in the offering pan so that somebody else can. That's what God's called you to do. The one thing. 
Psalm 27 and 4 says one thing that I desire in the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Well, who wrote that one? It was the man that said, God, I want to give you something better than the tent. God, I want to build a house that the wind won't blow down. God, I want to build a house that's greater than the one that I'm living in. God, if I'm going to go up and give you worship, I want to take all my riches, all my knowledge, everything that I can, and pour it into that building so that I can show the world how I feel about my God. David was a shepherd. David was a prophet. He was a psalmist. He, he was a king. He was a mighty warrior. But what did he say in summary? He said, there's this one thing that I want. There's this one thing that I'm committed to. There's this one thing that I want to give all of myself to. I want to be in the house of God. I want to be in His presence. What has God done in your life? Where has God brought you from? What has He put in you? I don't know what He's got for you tomorrow, but what has He got for you right now, today, in the place that you're living, in the circumstances that you're in? What has God put you there for? Are you being faithful to Him? First Corinthians 4 and 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, Let us man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I want you to read that scripture differently from this day forward. Because it would look like The only thing that Stephen did was make a good point. Throw in a little bit of conviction in the life. I mean, it's convicting enough to know that, that you had your part in the murder of innocent man. You know, besides the fact that it's against the law, one of the reasons I don't want to drive around with madheads, if I can help it, I don't ever want to live. But knowing I took somebody else's life because I was being foolish. You know, if I handle a firearm, I want to make sure that I'm very careful with it because I don't want to know that I ended somebody's life because I was playing with something I shouldn't have been playing with. It would have been enough conviction. Paul simply to have known when he got revelation later that I stood by and watched while he killed an innocent man. I cast a vote to convict him. That's not the only thing that happened to Paul. Paul became a man of the mission. Philippians 3 and 13, he writes, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What was the one thing that got a hold of him? Verse 8 says, In Dallas, I count all things but lost, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, and do count them dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. Out of his resurrection, fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I'm also apprehended. What really became of Stephen's ministry. What did what seems like a firework that went off before it got off the ground? What did he really do for the kingdom of God? Besides throwing a little bit of guilt and shame on the life of Paul. What was his real message? What did Stephen truly preach that day that mattered? Council already knew about Moses. The Sanhedrin, they'd already passed Hebrew history 101. They didn't need to recap what they already knew. They didn't need a history lesson. So, what did he preach? What did he preach to the Apostle Paul? 2 Timothy chapter 4, the life of This is the last letter Timothy wrote. I mean, that Paul wrote. He, he'd been through a lot. He'd been in jail. He'd been left for dead. He'd been beaten. He'd been abused. He'd been rejected. Every time that he got himself into trouble for the kingdom of God, he always got out of it, at least temporarily, because God had made him a promise that he was going to go wrong. He was going to stand before Caesar. So Paul knew that until that day came, until that time came, that there was nothing hell had that could take him out. But now as Paul sits in Rome, awaiting his appearance before Caesar, Paul knows his days are numbered. It's almost over for him. This is Rome, and they decided they don't think all the highly Christians, so all those were lies ahead. Something gruesome, something painful, certain death. Kind of what Stephen never saw coming. So Paul begins to write to his son, Lord Timothy, that he will shortly leave behind. 
I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. All's at the end of his life. It's about to be over. He says, Timothy, preach the word. He has to then season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all the suffering of doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, shall they be themselves teachers, having each ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on the faithless. He said, Timothy, there's going to be times you preach and nobody comes to the altar. There's going to be times you preach and the people that you loved enough to give that message to, they hate you and they'll run you out of town. Timothy, there's going to be times when it seems like a whole generation is turning their back on God. Look, watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of evangelists. Make full proof of thy history. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to be holy, but to all them also in love to me. I can't help but wonder. I can't help but wonder if Paul ever got down on his knees and prayed a prayer. Lord Jesus, when that day comes, Let me be faithful. Like Stephen was. Yeah, I think so. He would everybody and everything reject him. He looked up into the heavens and said, I see the sun sitting at the right hand of God. I wonder if this would be sat in that cell and look back at his life. Folks, I didn't preach enough. I didn't teach enough. I didn't enough. If even the Apostle Paul said, Lord, just let me be faithful to the end. Church, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if he's coming today, whether he's not coming for a hundred years. But I know this I've got to be faithful. You've got to be faithful. You can't quit. You can't give up. You've got to hold on to what God's doing. These altars are open. He's done. If you're thinking about quitting, come down to this altar and let God stir up your confidence. If you're thinking about throwing the towel, come down to this altar and let God stir you up again. If you're lost, know this: God didn't leave you here by accident, but He's got something for you. Come. Give your life. Give your hopes and dreams. Give it all to God. He can come tomorrow. Sure, that's You might think all 